Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, Pastor. Well, hey there, Dr. Robin. Surprise, listeners. It's Sunday. It's National Coming Out Day. It is. And we have decided that we're going to record a special episode just for Coming Out Day. Yeah. We're going to come out. Well, we are? Well, I thought that's what I thought that was our plan, that we were going to come out. What, what, what am I coming out for? Well, I mean, look. Look, everybody, everybody and their brother. Everybody already brother, thinks that. Everybody already thinks that I'm queer. Um, and are they are um, usually surprised, like shocked when I tell them about my partner of 25 years. That Your male partner. My, my male partner of 25 let's be, years. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. Let's be real clear. Uh, <laughs> but everyone thinks that you are on the spectrum of queerness. Yes, they do. They do. And I, it is one of the greatest compliments someone can give me, quite honestly. I, I love it. Um, I love every time someone is surprised. Not because I am, you know, um, not because I'm stunned that they're surprised, but it is. It's a big compliment for me that people... Um, think that of me and, and put me, put me, um, in that space. And I, and I honor it and I'm really, really pleased when they do. Um, but no, I'm actually not coming out today. And, and, and I mean, everybody knows it. I mean, you've been out for years. So, um, why don't we talk a little bit about coming out? Yeah. Let's talk about then, coming out first. And then we'll talk about coming out, coming out. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, for those of you that are not as familiar with um, the history of queer rights and kind of how the trajectory of queer rights happened here in the United States, um, National Coming Out Day is celebrated on today, the day that this podcast is dropping, which is Sunday, October 11th. Yeah. And it is a... It is celebrated on the anniversary of the National March on Washington for lesbian and gay rights. And that initially took place as a political rally in 1979. So, um, I was three years old for, for, right. So 40, almost 40 years ago, um, well, 41 years ago, I guess, 41 years ago, um, the first National March on Washington for lesbian and gay rights was held and it was held in October, and this is the anniversary of that march. They estimated that between 75,000 and 125,000 queer people um, showed up at that march in 1979, which is 
which is actually astounding to me. I'm, I am those that when I was kind of looking into this and and looking at those numbers, I was pleasantly surprised Mm -hmm. that in 1979, there was that big of a show out out for, for this day. Um, And so, you know, national coming out day serves as a reminder Um, serves as, in some cases, maybe an encouragement for people who are um, thinking about coming out. I I know you and I both have friends who have used National Coming Out Day to share with others um, the true, most authentic version of themselves, Mm -hmm. whether it's on social media or uh, through a telephone call or Mm -hmm. an email or a text. Um, But, you know, Right now, the statistics are that one in every two Americans um, have someone who is close to them who's queer. So half of the country knows someone who is queer, um, who is gay or lesbian, let me be clear. Mm -hmm. Only about one in 10, only about 10% of the people in the country know someone who is trans. Um, But when we talk about National Coming Out Day, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. and you have a coming out story, I'm mm-hmm. assuming. Yeah. Um, I've got several coming out stories. Depending on who you came out to or right. depending on what phase in your queerness you were or both. Both, um, depending on who it was that was that I was in conversation. And and then also because my my queerness in my sexual practice came first, my trans – I mean – they, they were in tandem, but my coming out about my transness came second. Gotcha. And now, now coming out is a reference to coming out of the closet. Yes. And um, we all know that the closet is some people have a luxury to be in the closet and don't have a, a need or don't have... Um, the impetus or the or the willpower to come out and then and then other people sit in the closet their entire life because because they have that privilege so i think about um let's just use mike pence for an example who is probably a a deeply closeted gay man that's why the fly landed on his head (laughs) someone like mike pence has the privilege to remain in the closet so when, when we talk about coming out, I also want to talk about the complexity of what it means to come out. That, yes, visibility is important, and we have those days of visibility. Trans Day of Visibility, for example, is in March. Right. Trans Day of Remembrance is in November. Um, but I, I don't want people to be lost on that on the fact that Everyone just comes out on October the 11th, you know, what, whether they are LGBTQ or, or whatever it may be, that right. there are reasons for people to remain closeted yes. for, like, safety reasons. Safety. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of fear. A lot of families disown children for coming out. Right. So there are these private back channel places for young people to come out so that it's not so public. Um, but the closet, um, you know, I've, I've been famous for posting 
very long diatribes on Facebook around on National Coming Out Day and my critique of it, uh, you know, yes. criticizing that we must come out, criticizing that we must be visible, criticizing the stable identities that are only recognized on National Coming Out Day. Right. And um, I, I still want to trouble those waters, which is which is why I think that we're doing this podcast to talk about coming out and and also to raise awareness around what it is that we're coming out about and um, and all the things. And to honor those who have come out, whether successfully or unsuccessfully, um, and to stand in solidarity and absolute um, oneness with those who just simply can't come out yet, who, who for what, whatever reason are, are um, you know, are, are not able to, to, to say and represent who they are. There are, there are so many, as you say, nuances to this, mm-hmm. this concept. And I think that, you know, what's really important, at least for my work in the world, specifically as a pastor who is someone who um, fully honors the, the wholeness of a person, um, especially queer people in the, in the eyes of God, it, it is not lost on me at all um, that queer people are not a monolith. Queer people are, you know, in a variety of um, phases in their becoming. And, 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 and this conversation is so, I mean, it's, it's wrought with possibility. It's also wrought with beauty because Mm -hmm. of how, um, how much, how much, uh, how much amazing um, possibility there is in, in someone's, in someone's coming out story. Has anyone ever come out to you? Have you heard those coming out stories? Yes. Many, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. Um, my very first coming out story was from, um, a, a man in college who I actually was in love with mm. and, um, his, he, he gave finally after many attempts, uh, on my part to have him look my way. And he was a very dear friend of mine. We were very, very close friends. Uh, we were sitting at the bar one night and he had a, uh, it's not you, it's me conversation <laughs> and, um, and came out to me in, in the midst of that. And I think that um, it was, it was him that first informed my understanding of, and, 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 and informed a lot of the work that I did you know, when that happened to me in the, in the early nineties. Um, but I've since, I've, I've since been blessed to hold a lot of those stories mm-hmm. and, and to hear a lot of those stories and to be a part of a lot of those experiences. And I don't take it lightly ever. We, we talk a lot about how story shapes us. And I think both of us being um, clergy people and being in congregation settings and being in the world, we have heard a lot of stories and a lot of people have, um, shared various narratives, some coming out and whatnot, some some stories about, I want to come out, but I can't. Um, and these stories shape us and they build empathy. 
And I think one of the things that I want this episode to be about is is really paying attention to the whole person and and the ways that empathy can grow when we expand our imagination for who the whole person is. Right. Because your queerness informs all of you. And right. yet it is not the only thing that makes you a whole person. Right. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful that you chose to have me on this, um, on this, in the, as a part of this conversation with you. Well, I think it only makes sense. I appreciate that you think that. I think that it's a gift that you're giving me that mm. you are willing to have me have me as a part of this conversation. And so that's a little bit of a tease for our folks that now people know that this is about you. Oh, so I'm coming out. Ta-da! <laughs> I'm coming out. I want the world to know. Got to let it show. Yeah, so... I'm coming out. Should we tell the folks what I'm coming out about? I think we should. So um, I've been sitting with some information for a while. and have... Are you a puppy? <laughs> no, but I am an alien. Um, I'm not a puppy. I'm, I'm not an alien either. But I've been sitting with some information for a while that... Um, that... Um, has surprised me and um, been trying to figure out how, how do I come out about this? How do I, how do I share with the world this self-knowledge, this, um, this new understanding of myself? And when I reached out to my teacher from seminary, she, her only reply back to me was, isn't it amazing the self-knowledge we can have and the self-knowledge of God. Mm. And that really gave me pause. Wow. That, that what I'm about to share is, um, is part divine. Yes. Fully divine. In fact, I would say, um, and fully informed by the way that you in all your complexities, were to use scriptural verbiage knitted in the womb. Yeah. It it speaks to all of that. Yeah. So so and not to get too, you know, gushy or anything, but but when my teacher wrote that to me, um I thought, well I have to say something. I I have to I have to give voice to this invisible um disease, this invisible, um, uh, orientation. I, I don't know how we would call it condition. Um, so that, so that people know that, um, that we believe in the full person and that we honor the full person. Um, and so I, I learned a while ago and have been working with a therapist around a diagnosis of autism. And, you know, I, so I'm on the autism spectrum and 
it would formerly be called Asperger's because of my ability to be high functioning and my and my ability to um, pursue higher education. But Asperger's has gone away, and so it's just kind of lumped into what they call ASD, um, autism spectrum disorder. And so this means that I'm neuroatypical, neurodiverse, and um, that is beautiful because there's a lot of people who embody neurodiversity. We know that um, trans people are six times more likely to be diagnosed with autism uh, because gender dysphoria runs very high in people with autism. Um, and I really wanted to come out about this because um, what if neurodiversity, neuroatypical people are the majority? What if actually how we create a better world, how we get our hands dirty is paying attention to those on the underside? And that includes people living with autism. Um so I wanted to come out about that. Um, people have, you know, a lot of things made sense when when I got this diagnosis. People used to think I was uh, rude. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> people thought I was rude because I didn't remember them. Uh, like you, me, Anna. Me. <laughs> Guilty. You know, it, it took like six times for me to remember Anna. I know. And I'm pretty memorable, y'all. You are. You are. You are. The hair and everything. So... If I have met you and I meet you again and I don't remember, it's because I have partial facial blindness. I just don't remember. So that's not how my brain works. If it's completely out of context, which that happens a lot, I meet people at an event and then people say, hey, I met you at this event. I have no memory of it. And it's because of the way my brain works. So I've been called rude for not remembering people. Um, I, I have I, social, social interactions are very hard for me because I don't do small talk and you know, people, people used to think I was very, very intense. And that's because I fucking have autism because I roll in a certain register in my brain and small talk does not, is not part of that. So I've been called rude. I've been called, um, intense and I've been called a myriad of things that when I was in Cuba a couple years ago with our comrade Alba, Alba said to me, Robin, you might want to look into how people with autism deal with social issues or social circumstances. I was offended because I was like, well, you fucking think I have autism? Well, Alba called it. Yes. And so I started researching into it a couple of years ago, but it did, I didn't really pursue it until recently when it kind of came up again with my partner. And... So I felt like I, as a person with a public platform, must come out and and say autism is a range of things and that we are gifted to be in relationship with a wide variety of people. Even even those people, and I, I'm connected with some people on on social media who live with autism, even those folks who are nonverbal. Um, those kids um, are are divine, and we should cherish these children. Um, we we live. I mean, neuro neurotypical orientation is part of supremacy culture. The ways in which 
we minimize neurodiversity or neurotypicalness, the ways that we don't um, include all of humanity into our organizing and into our social justice work, that is, that is wrong. Yes. And people who live with varying abilities and, and invisible or visible should be included in the work of composting supremacy culture. And so that's another reason why I wanted to come out because I don't want people thinking that um, I am just this high functioning person who gets a lot of shit done. I have a lot of support and I think people don't realize that there's a lot of support around me that enables me to do the work that I do. And, and now we know why, because I live with autism. So thank you thank for you. sharing this with our listeners. Um, I, uh, I give you a lot of shit. I don't, you I do. know our listeners know that, you know that, um, I give you shit and I don't say this flippantly. I give you shit because I love you. Yeah. Um, and because we like giving each other shit, yeah. it's something we do together. Um, and when you told me this, of this diagnosis and, and, and you and I have, I mean, I have been on this journey with you for a few months of yeah. possibility and um, kind of, as you've explored deeper yeah. and deeper into this, um, my first response to you was like, how, how is this, how are you feeling about this? Yeah. How, like, how has this, how has this, you know, been with you in your, in your body? And my second response was, like, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, no shit. Yeah. I mean, I I love you so that I – and I call you out on things that we joke about. Yeah. Um, that, that really are in this range of your um, – of being neurotypical and, and I give you a hard time about them and I tease you about them. Um, not, not because I at all minimize, you know, this diagnosis or who you are, but because it is who you are and right. it is who I love. And just like, you know, you give me shit about, um, you know, being, uh, you know, the way I am. Yep. I give you shit about being the way you are, but yeah. I was, I don't know that I would say that I was surprised. Um, I, I am, I'm grateful that you took the time to explore mm -hmm. the depth of this and to really kind of try to deep, more deeply understand, um, who you are and how your, how, why your brain works the way that it works. Um, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about how, like how you feel now that you know? Yeah. Well, I have to say that when I first found out, um, I had some tears because I, I don't want to be a burden to anyone. And I know that I'm eccentric and absent-minded, um, but but I'm reminded that those are the things that people love about me. So I, I did have some tears because I, um, you know, I have this wonderful partner and I, I never want Aaron to feel like she's taking care of me or that I, that I can't do for myself. Now, you know, it, as it turns out, I have some executive functioning issues like 
when I get sick, I don't always know what to do because my brain doesn't process what to do. Um, and thankfully, Aaron is super supportive and Aaron is a two on the Enneagram, so she loves to help. I was just about to say that. You luckily you're in partnership with a two who honors you and and you know, she honors her her value in the relationship around her two-ness, but she also assists you yeah. deeply and, and does it with a, a, a radical amount of love because yeah. of her two-ness. Yeah. And so like just remembering one day I was having a really bad allergy um, flare up and, and I had taken my allergy medicine at night because it can sometimes make me sleepy. Then I got up the next morning with this flare up and I, I just didn't know what to do. And Aaron said, well, why don't you use the neti pot? And those are the kind of things that I need help with that kind of executive functioning. Like you would probably know, Oh, let me get the neti pot and let me rinse out my nose. But like I need help with some of the stuff or like I leave the oven on because I don't remember to turn it off. That's sort of absent minded things that um, and this happens over and over again. And so Aaron very politely will say, does the oven need to be on? You know, like guessing that that I guessing that she already knows the answer. But, yes. you know, yeah, <laughs> but but she humanizes me, you know, so. Um, I did have some tears. I, I never want anyone to think that they have to take care of me. But, you know, um, I I do have some deficits in some areas. And then, you know, there are some things that um, just made a lot of sense around. I collect books and bourbon and um, I have routines that I never break. And, and if the routines do get broken, I I'm dysregulated. And this is a thing about autism that people who live with autism often have very ritualistic routines. And, and I, and I have those, um, I, I, I felt, you know, I came out to just a few close people, um, when I first found out, you know, and everybody was, so like, how can I support you? Um, just, they were so loving. And I, I think that I want, I want to be able to share my story and invite people to be loving to other people who live with autism because um, some of the brightest people are autistic. They are, and and you are. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're one of the brightest people I know. It's it's funny because as a seven on the enneagram, there are times where my sevenness and your both fiveness and neurotypicalness. <laughs> Um, confuse me because I am, I am like in, like I'm strung out in fifth gear all the time. Yeah. Like what's next? What are we doing? Where are we going? What's new and fun to do? How are we going to accomplish what's next? And you often force me to say, oh, okay. I'm actually not going to do that because Robin 
Robin's routine requires this from them. And so we'll pause so that the routine and, and, and the need that, that you have can be, can be fulfilled. Um, I think it's beautiful and maybe, maybe this is only one sided, but I think it's beautiful that you and I have found a rhythm Mm -hmm. being as radically different as we are, not just in our personalities, but now also in our the way our brains um, function the way our brains function yeah. in in doing this work together and doing it so um and, and doing it so truthfully mm-hmm. and so you know um so beautifully there are there i mean we we both have had people say to us that they're surprised at our relationship mm-hmm. that they're surprised at our capacity to um, work well with one another to get along with one another because of those differences, because of them knowing, you know, who we are and how we, how we are wired. Um, but I, I, I love that you are being, um, that you're coming out about this today. I love that you're, that you have explored this about yourself and that you're honoring the the differences that you've discovered. Um, but I also love that it helps me. I mean, it's selfish, but it helps me even more understand who you are and yeah. then to be able to sit in that space of working alongside you in a way that 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 helps us achieve the, the goal we have for ATP. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think about um, we are so different and our pace is very different, but for some reason, you know, maybe it, this is Providence, I don't know, but we have found a real sweet spot with, with the work. And, um, you know, even earlier today we were, um, we were texting and, you know, we were kind of going back and forth about, about why it would be important to do X over Y. And I just appreciate the ability to have a voice and I think that's another reason why I wanted to come out. I think that um, just as we saw, if you watch the vice presidential debate, if you watch Kamala um, earn her, you know, like name her voice mm-hmm. and own her voice. And BTW eviscerate him. Yeah. 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 In the same way, people who live with disabilities or who are neurodiverse or who live with varying abilities should have a voice. And um, that's another reason why I want to come out because there, there has been so much stigma around autism. Um, One of the, one of the things that I had feelings about is that it took me until I was 44 years old to learn that I live with autism. Could my life have been made easier had I known earlier? Like, I wonder how many relationships I've harmed because I live with a different brain that processes differently. And, and I worry about that. And I, you know, I like, is there harm to repair because I live with a brain that just works differently? How have I hurt people? Um, and, and those are some of the feelings that I had when I first found out and, and, I even, my former partner worked with children with autism in a research center 
And when I read the symptoms of adults living with autism, they really resonated with me. And I asked them, is this true for me? And she said, no, you're too smart. And so, you know, this, I could have had this diagnosis 10 years ago and it would have made the last 10 years different, but it didn't come. It came in 2020. I mean, here's the 2020, right? I mean, right. Right. Yeah. I am. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad even at this age, you know, Um, you know, I was 43 when I learned that I had ADHD and it changed everything for me. It it made so much sense. It made everything so much clearer. And those diagnoses are very different um, and manifest very differently, but they're still brain things, things that affect the way that we think and do and process in the world. And, and those things are, um, are important. And how different would any of us be if we knew the things that we, um, that we learn as we, as we get older. I'm I'm glad that I'm glad it happened for us both in our forties. I'm glad it didn't take till we were in our fifties or our sixties. Right. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I think that 2020 has a, has had a lot of, uh, it's getting a bad rap for a lot of things, but I think there are some good things that are coming yeah, out of it. Too. Yeah. And, you know, we live in such a neuronormative world that I don't, I don't want, um, I don't want the neuronormative world to own all the brilliance or to, or to own all the landscape around ideas. I, I want those of us who are, neuroatypical, neurodiverse to, um, to have a say in what's happening in the world. And now there's lots of discussion about how neurodiversity or the the language of high functioning, um, doesn't fit everyone with autism, which is true because there are some people, um, whose ability to function is inhibited greatly. And so I, I don't want to diminish the reality of that. And I also don't want to um, silence those people because I've been doing a lot of reading and there are a lot of people who are like, this condition prevents me from having a girlfriend, prevents me from having a job. Yes, that is true. There is a range of autism. Yes. And I, I want us to um, try to have as much kindness for that range, for that spectrum, as we would for anything else that right. that has a range. I, I don't, I I am not, I, and I don't want to set myself up as the expert here because I'm just coming into this knowledge and I'm gifted in a lot of ways, but people who have different abilities who are living with autism are also gifted. I guess I want to name, I want to flatten out what gift means. It's not just those who function highly or not. Correct. Um, we are all gifted. Um, and and those of us with different abilities who live on the autism spectrum, um, we we should have a, a place in, in the work. Yes. And I think that's, that's really what I want to come out about is that can we make can we have deep postures of welcome for difference? 
can we create conditions of possibility for those who are radically different from us to be present in the work? Because getting our hands dirty will require all of us. I agree. I love that you are naming the, you know, the ways that supremacy culture and empire have shifted our expectation and our um, understanding of words like gifted Mm -hmm. and words like um, smart and words like um, well-spoken. All of those things are, are directly related to the way that we as white people have set up a hierarchy of um, based on a, a scale of perfection that isn't attainable in any, in any stretch of the imagination, but also limits those whose abilities are different, um, right. whether it is because of disability or whether it is because of queerness or whether it is because of, um, of, you know, their ability to hear or see or, or walk or, um, read yeah. or, um, uh, you know, um, count money. I mean, mm-hmm. any, God, the list is, you know, anything, anything. So I'm, um, you know, our, our role and what I hope that this episode does and what I hope that your work does now that you feel more informed about yourself is that, we are then able to expand our the way that we bridge with right. difference, the way that we encourage others to bridge with difference, and the way that we help people understand that difference is um, without question to be celebrated, mm-hmm. without question to be honored, and 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 that and that there is goodness in that. Yeah. Yes, and amen. Yes, and amen. I, uh, I'm thankful that you did this today. I know yeah. that our listeners are thankful. Yeah. Um, I know that there are there will be those who um, begin listening to this episode wondering what they're going to get themselves into, and and I hope come out of it um, with both a better understanding of you, but hopefully a better understanding of those that they know and love. Yeah. Are, um, neurotypical. And, um, I think that this is a good time for us to, um, for us to just say thanks to our listeners and to thank them for being on this journey with us. And I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful for that really, um, beautiful and yet atypical brain of yours. Thank you. And thanks so much for letting me use our platform of the podcast to come out about this. Um, I didn't know how to come out. I didn't know what to say to people, but I wanted people to know. And I, and I want people to know that we are deeply invested in, in composting and dismantling the bullshit that keeps us from being free. And, and one of the things that keeps people from being free is stigma. And so I'm hoping that coming out about this, being visible as a person who lives, an adult who lives with autism um, reduces the stigma in some capacity. So thanks for this. Of course.
Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sound. So, so early, they show me no.